Hey there, and welcome to the Rock Reavers podcast. Here we are all about believing and proclaiming the word. We're totally given to true worship and obedient in taking the gospel to the nations through missions. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you'll be blessed by this message. I, as I was praying, I was led by the Spirit to pray for you before I start. So I will pray for you while looking at you. I pray that God shall quiet your heart with his love. Because I know that there are things that have disturbed you. I know that there are some of you that have received reports that would take your attention away from God. So God says in Zephaniah chapter 3 that one of the things he does is quiets your heart with his love. Now being quieted with the love of God is an ability to become in the midst of a storm that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were facing a fire that would burn them to death. But God quieted their hearts with his love. And they were able to stand up against a whole nation and stand up for their faith. That Daniel was facing man-eating lions, but God was able to quiet his heart with his love as he waited for the deliverance of God. So I pray for you today that God shall quiet your heart with his love that nothing shall distract you, that that school fee situation shall not distract you, that sickness shall not distract you, that parent, that sibling who's in trouble shall not distract you, that business situation shall not distract you. I pray against every agent of Satan that is trying to steal the word of God that is meant for your growth, that the word that shall come forth from God today shall bear fruit in your life. And this fruit shall last in the name of Jesus. That the worries of this world shall not take your mind away from Jesus. That the love of God shall quiet you in his presence. Now last week, we looked at the, the benefits of koinonia. The benefits of being intimate with God. That there is a place that God calls the believer to go with him. That is a place of intimacy. That is a place of vulnerability. That is a place of being naked and ashamed before the master. Now one of the advantages of accessing that place of intimacy is God allows you to know him. Now John tells us in 1 John that when you are intimate with God, he gives you what John calls an anointing that keeps you from being deceived by men. An anointing that teaches you all things that you need to know. An anointing that tells you whether the word that is coming from me is from God or not. An anointing that tells you which prophetic meetings to go for and which ones not to go for. An anointing that will keep you from being deceived by the Antichrist, from being deceived by the false Christ, from being deceived by false prophets. An anointing that keeps you from being an infant and a an babe, that gives you the strength, the growth, the stamina that you need to be able to have a mature experience with God. So I pray that this shall be your story in the name of Jesus, that you shall not be deceived by any charlatan, that you shall not be in meetings where men are being given strange anointings. That strange fire shall not find access to you because the fire of the Holy Ghost shall burn from within your bones and it shall come from the place of koinonia. It shall come from the place of intimacy with God. Now let me jump straight to our title for today. We are still in the book of Songs of Solomon. I will read one line. 
Songs of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. Songs of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. Now it says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin our vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Amen. I hope that as I have been preaching, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, your relationship with God has been enriched. That your place of koinonia has been enriched. That prayer has stopped becoming a burden. That seeking him has become a delight. Because him chasing after you, as he displays in the book of Songs of Solomon, has always been a delight. Now there is an analogy that the Bible uses in the book of Songs of Solomon to describe the relationship that you have with God. You, the Shulamite woman, God your lover. Now one of the examples, one of the analogies used in Songs of Solomon chapter 2 is the analogy of a vineyard. Now a vineyard is a chamber of grapes. It is a farm full of grapes. It was popular in Israel for men to have vineyards so that they would harvest the vine and make good wine. So God uses the example of a vineyard to show the nature of the blossoming relationship that he wants to have with you. Now one of the expectations of a farmer who has a vineyard is that the vineyard must bear fruit. So the vineyard should bear fruit and this vineyard is bearing fruit. But there is an enemy to the fruit and the Bible uses foxes to represent the enemy to that fruit. Now foxes would come and destroy vineyards for sports. All of us know that foxes are carnivorous. So they have nothing to do with the fruit that comes from a vine. But in ancient Israel, they would come into the farm and destroy the fruit of the vineyard for sport. So a farmer would invest in fertilizer, invest in labor, invest in making this relationship fruitful. But then would get no fruit at the end because of the foxes that would come and destroy the vineyard. So God is giving us an instruction today through Songs of Solomon that there needs to be a responsibility to make sure that there are no foxes in your life that destroy the vineyard of the relationship that he has with you. And I pray that today by the leading of the Holy Spirit, God shall allow you to understand what are these foxes that are destroying your vineyard? What are these habits? What are these activities that are affecting the quality of relationship, that are affecting the quality of koinonia that you have with your God. Now let me tell you that the responsibility of catching the foxes squarely lies on the Shulamite woman and not on God. It lies on the Shulamite woman and her people and her brothers. It lies on you and it lies on your community. It is not the responsibility of God to catch the foxes. It is the responsibility of the Shulamite woman to catch the foxes. For all of us who have been married for, for one day to a thousand years, as Pastor Stan has given us an analogy, you know that marriage works, right? But marriage is work. Marriage does not work on its own. There are activities that you do, and not in a belabored manner. You do them Hopefully, let me use the word hopefully, joyfully, 
Because marriage should work, but marriage is work. In your walk of faith, there is grace for salvation. But in that grace, there is a responsibility that has been placed upon you to make sure that your relationship with God works. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then it goes on to say, appropriate God, grace, because it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Now, there's a reason that God picked foxes for this analogy. He did pick elephants because elephants also destroy farms. Hallelujah to those from Voi. Elephants destroy farms and they cause a lot of damage. He didn't pick ants. He didn't pick worms. He picked foxes because they are small but ferocious. Because they spoil the farm for spots. Now, some of the things, some of the foxes that affect your relationship with God might look small, but their impact is great. So do not, do not, do not underestimate the impact of these foxes because of their size. But just know that the magnitude of their destruction is great. So I pray for you that as we finish the series today, you shall understand the magnitude of destruction that these foxes bring to the vineyard that you have with God. I don't know whether any of you know of a man called uh, Kanye West. Is there anyone here who does not know Kanye West? Okay, I know you know Travis Green, Dancing Oyekan. Praise the Lord for his servants. You, you, know, you, know, you know Dennis Mashauri, you know? Kogi Karaoke. You know, ministers of the gospel of great repute. But there are people... There is a person that is called Kanye West who is a rapper. He's not from Westlands. He's from the West. So, Kanye West tweeted something. Just Google Kanye West tweets, not now, when you are at home. There is one tweet that he made against the Jewish community. And it is rumored that the Jewish community runs the world as we know it, the economy as we know it. Now, by the time I was Googling the impact of that tweet, it is said that he had lost more than $2 billion in personal wealth. Now start adding the zeros to $2 billion. Imagine the things that one tweet cost one person. That is the impact that a small fox has on your relationship. That a tweet could make someone move from being rich to bankruptcy. That a fox can make you move from having a rich relationship with God to having a horrible or a non-existent relationship with your lover. There is a footballer, for those of you who watch football, called Kurt Zuma. He plays for a team called West Ham. He, his brother recorded a video of him kicking a cut. You know the way you kick cuts randomly <laughs> in your neighborhoods and your driveways? It almost cost him his job. There were activists, there were people, there were animal lovers that were saying that this man should never play football again. A harmless act. In fact, the cat had wronged him. I don't know whether you guys have cats that are untrained and they go to your closet and they tear your clothes from vivo. This is what that cat had done. So, in a way, he had a right to kick it. He didn't kill it. He just kicked it a bit. And his brother thought this was funny his blood brother, and recorded it and posted it on social media. A small act, a small engagement, a small indulgence almost cost a man his job. Now these foxes 
are things that the enemy has convinced us are small indulgences. But if you continue to coexist with these foxes, they might cost you your salvation. They might cost you your eternity. They might cost you your relationship with God. So for the interest of today, I'd like us to look at three foxes, just three. And I pray that God shall give us the grace to work on these foxes. They are not difficult things. They are not deep revelations. They are probably things that you know. They are probably things that you hear on a regular. But I pray that today, this shall be the day. This shall be the proverbial 11th time, as Pastor Kev has reminded us, that God shall set you free from these foxes. Amen? Amen. Now the first fox is a fox that is called sin. The first fox is called sin. Now I have, oh, I, I pray that you're not my cousin or my friend because you will constantly appear in my sermons. So be, be very careful before you make me your friend because you might hear yourself uh, appearing because Christ used his everyday people and examples. So I'm modeling after him. So I have a cousin. My cousin lives in, in Kibra. Shout out to, to the guys who grew up in Kibra, number nine. So my cousin has lived in Kibra for for this is could be, this could be his 20th year from the time he came to Nairobi so he 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 grew up in the village and he came to Nairobi and started life in Kibra now one of the things that happened to him is that he prospered to be honest as an accountant when i do his net worth my cousin is able to move to south b comfortably but he has refused to move from from kibra he lives in kibra and he enjoys his life in kibra so many of us have asked him, uh, Jack, let me use Jack so that you don't know which cousin this is. Why is it that you are refusing to move from Kibra? And God has blessed you. There is nothing wrong with you moving to a four-bedroomed apartment in uh, Kileleshua. But the guy says, I love Kibra because Kibra is affordable. And uh, my heart is here. My friends are here. My wife's friends are here. So he doesn't want to move out of Kibra. Now, the thing that happens to you when you visit my cousin is that your jaw will drop. Because from outside, his house is a slum house. It is mud thatched with like a little bit of something on the outside. It has like a roof. But when you go inside, there is a 55-inch colored TV. There are sofa sets that he has bought from a reputable farm. There is a table that you look at and you wonder, I... How is this table? The table is better than my table. And I'm not saying I'm better than him, but the table is better than what any of us has as cousins. So when you look at my cousin's house, the glory of the inside does not compare to the glory of the outside. Because inside there is greatness. It is fit for a king. But outside, it is a slum that is not fit for a human being. Now, one of the things that, that Christ did is when he came to you, the miracle of Emmanuel that you are about to celebrate in Christmas, is he came to live in a house that is not befitting of his stature, that is not befitting of his glory. If you look at the book of Revelations and you get a glimpse of the house, of the place that Christ left to come and be with you, you will understand the privilege of having Christ dwell with you. Now, Revelation says that the place that Christ used to live, gold has paved the streets. Now, if you read 
deeply, I think this is Revelation 20, you will see precious metals that you have never seen in your life. I know sometimes when you're surprised with a diamond, you wonder, hey, can you do better than this? There are precious stones called Ophir, Lazuli, things I have never seen personally. Perhaps some of you have more exposure than me and you have seen them. Christ left a place that has too much glory to come and live in a place that is not befitting of his glory. Just as my cousin lives in a house that is not befitting of his income, when Christ came to dwell with you, he came to live in a place that is not befitting of his stature. But because of his love, because he's the rose of Sharon, because there's something that he wants to do with you, he has accepted to allow himself in the form of the Holy Spirit to live in you. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are but jars of clay. We are but slum houses, but we carry something precious within us. So your net worth is uncalculatable, not because of you, not because of your beauty, not because of your six-pack, but because of that that you carry in the inside of you. Christ, the miracle of Emmanuel, is that God came and dwelt amongst men. That God came and dwelt inside men. That the day you give your life to Christ, he becomes a God who indwells you. So that everywhere you walk, you are a carrier of the presence of God. So that everywhere you go, you are a carrier of the anointing of God. Now, in as much as Christ left his splendor for you, he did not leave his holiness for you. So, just as he was holy when he is in heaven, he expects to be holy when he is in you. There are standards that have to be kept because you are hosting a king in your house. There are standards that have to be kept. That's why in the, in the parable of the banquet, if you go and read it, the Bible says that he invited his friends and his friends did not come. Then he went to the streets and he looked for beggars and people who had no repute and invited them into his banquet. But if any man came to that banquet not properly dressed, he was cast out into the lake of fire because there are standards that have to be kept because Christ, your rose of Sharon, has chose to make his dwelling in the inside of you. You're like a house that did not have water. You know when you, when you, I don't know whether you have lived in Nairobi in the days of proper rationing. I had the privilege of growing up in Nairobi, Eastland. Some of you grew up on the other side where there was no rationing. In Eastland, you had proper rationing. And you would visit your friends and you would understand the stench. Especially if they were single and living in their car, SQ in Kayole. There are some socks that would almost chase you out of the house. But because you know there is water rationing, you would understand. And before 30, 40, if you have not fainted, you'll have acclimatized. So you will just find that smell to be normal. It is understandable for you to live in a deplorable state when you have no solution. But then something happens when water comes into your house. And you have water every day. Now we expect you to keep the house clean. Because when you open your taps, we discover that there is flowing water. So there is no excuse for your house to have a stench. Now Christ comes and he comes with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So when he now lives with you in that slum, there is no excuse for there to be the stench of sin in your life. Because he comes with his grace and he comes with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that enables you to deal with that stench. 
Now, God is not going to, to live in this lamb for life. He's like a, a husband who is building in Siokimao or somewhere. He is building and he lives in this lamb with you temporarily so that at some point the two of you shall move into the mansion that he has built for you. That's why for you as a believer, the day that you die is a day of promotion. Because it's the day that you move out of the slum and move into the mansion that you and the rose of Sharon are meant to live in. But while you are still in the slum, there are standards that need to be kept. And sin has to be dealt with. Not because of fear. Not because you are afraid that you'd miss out on heaven. But because you understand the privilege of being in a relationship with God. Because you understand the privilege of being in union with he who is the rose of Sharon. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Come out from amongst them and be separate. Touch nothing and clean and I will receive you. I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters. He says, I will live amongst you. I will walk with you. But then if you move to seven, there are conditions. He says, because you have received these promises of God dwelling with you, purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So because you're in a relationship with God, there is a requirement for you to perfect holiness. There is a requirement for you to enjoy holiness. That we shall not be those who subscribe to a false version of grace that says grace allows you to do what you want to do. But if you read Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it says that grace is the empowerment to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, to live a life that is upright as you wait for the glorious coming of your Lord. So I pray for real grace to come upon you today, that in your life there shall be increasing victory over sin, that it shall not be three years and you're dealing with the same issues that you dealt with three years ago because grace allows you to bear fruit. And sin is one of the foxes that God has asked us to, to deal with in our life. So may there be grace upon you today for, to deal with sin. May there be grace upon you today to deal with sin. I pray that the allure of the world and the allure of sin shall not make you sell your birthright for a bowl of lentils. This is what Esau did. Because he was hungry for quick pleasure, he sold out on an opportunity to be the carrier of God's promise to the world. Sometimes the hunger for quick pleasure will make you sell out on an opportunity to be in a relationship with God and to be used by God to touch the nations. Just because you wanted a high. Just because you wanted a sexual satisfaction. Just because you wanted an experience. You sold out your birthright for a bowl of lentils. So I pray that there shall be a grace upon you to say no. That at that night when there is an urge to watch porn and to masturbate, you shall think about your birthright. You shall think about the glory of being in a relationship with God. You shall think about that your body is not just yours, but is a temple of the living God. That you shall think about the conditions that the Rose of Sharon gave you, and you shall have the strength not to sell your birthright for a bowl of lentils.
the impact of sin in your life is much greater than what you think. The impact of sin in your life is much greater than what you think. Now, uh, I heard of a story about uh, the Belgian conquest of parts of Congo. And I will ask my brother to confirm it for me. And it is said that one of the strategies that the Belgians used is they knew that the people of Congo loved music. I mean, if you look at our bassista, you understand that there is a gift. This is beyond training. This is a gift that God has given them. So the strategy of the Belgians was to give them guitars and give them musical instruments so that they would enjoy their music. But while they were enjoying their music, the Belgians were extracting their minerals. It is said that if Congo had its way, if Congo was not interfered with by the West and the world, they would be the richest country. GDP per capita would be greater than that of Switzerland. But because of external interference, they are not able to enjoy the gifts that God has given them. So at that time when they were receiving these guitars, there was no understanding. They didn't know that they were exchanging their birthright for a bowl of lentils. There are things that the enemy might give you or will give you that look pleasurable now. But as you indulge and engage with them, just know that you are exchanging your birthright for a bowl of lentils. So I pray that we shall not be comfortable with sin because we are comfortable with God. Because we understand that he who dwells in us is holy. In as much as he is loving, he too is holy. And he expects that you keep standards that come from him in dwelling you. Amen. Let me try and deal with the other two in, in due time. Now the second fox that I believe God is calling us to deal with is a fox called pride. The fox called pride. I know that in the, are we in the 21st or the 22nd century? Whichever century we are in, pride has gotten a new meaning because uh, the homosexual and gay community has, has taken captive of this name. So I don't, I don't mean that kind of pride. I mean pride, and I'll help you understand what, <laughs> what pride is. That is my prayer, that you will understand what pride is. Now, in the book of Daniel chapter 4, I, I had planned to read it, but because of time I will not read. It's a story of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know whether you have heard of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king ever. Nebuchadnezzar was a president of more than 135 countries. So he was greater than the U.S., he was greater than Europe, EU combined. He was a great king. And he had built a kingdom for himself that surpassed the ability of what man could do. He had conquered the entire known world. He had nothing else to conquer. Now in Daniel chapter 4, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream of a man, of a tree that grew up to the heavens. And then an angel came from heaven and cut down that tree. And Nebuchadnezzar turns to Daniel to understand what the meaning of this dream is. Now, God speaks through Daniel and tells Nebuchadnezzar that you have built a kingdom so great, but you have become proud. And God reminds Nebuchadnezzar of two things. Daniel says, if you want to escape the wrath of God, please remember two things. Remember the poor and do not do what is evil. Remember the poor and do not do what is evil. Now, Nebuchadnezzar did not heed to Daniel's warning. The Bible says that at some point later, Nebuchadnezzar was seen strolling on the rooftop of his mighty palace. And he said, look at what I have conquered. Look at what I have done. 
Look at all the countries I have made slave to me. And the Bible says that before he could finish that proclamation, he was struck down. And for seven years, he was made to eat grass with the animals. Now, God had mercy on him. Because on the seventh year, when he learned that all the things that he had accomplished were by the grace of God, he turned back to God and gave praise to God. He turned back to the Father and gave praise to the Father. Now, there is a, an interesting group of people. I don't know whether they are people, of group of creation. Let me use that word. In Revelation chapter 4, they are called the 24 elders. Have you heard of the 24 elders? Now, there's a debate about what they mean. And that's not what I am tackling for today. This is not an eschatological class. Now, the 24 elders, if you are to look at the book of Revelations in terms of proximity, it seems to me that these are the closest people to the throne of God. In fact, the Bible says that they are so close that they have been given a crown by God. But every time they go before God, they have to cast down their crowns and worship. Now, pride... My first definition of pride. Pride is thinking that your title holds before God. Pride is thinking that because you are the MCA of Kasipul Kabondo, God has to treat you differently. Pride is thinking that because God has made you a billionaire and you have conquered the business world, you have to be treated differently. Pride is thinking that because God has made you a minister of the gospel, in every church that you go, you have to be given a front seat. In the presence of God, there is no title. In the presence of God, there is no king. David understood this. That's why when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in his presence, Bible says that he was undignified and he danced as a pauper would to the chagrin of his wife. The first definition of pride is thinking that your title or that the accomplishments that God has given you hold in the presence of God. In the presence of God, there is no king. That's why Paul, when writing about his state in the presence of God, he says, I am less than the least of all God's people. The presence of God reminds you that everything that you have is a function of his grace and not a function of your might. An understanding of the presence of God enables you to know that before God, I am just but a child. So I pray that the enemy shall not fill your heart with pride. We thank God that in your life you have given more than 200 billion for the kingdom. But let this not make you think that God owes you more because of what you have done. We thank God that for the past 25 years you have served God in every team. You have started five churches. You have helped young churches start. But let this not make you think that God owes you anything and that your title holds before God. In the presence of God, there is no title that holds because God does not owe any man anything. Now, in reflecting about this, I believe it's in Luke chapter 17, Jesus gives a parable of a man and his servant. And Jesus says that if a man sends his servant to the field to tend for the sheep the whole day, and then the servant comes back. Now, naturally, humanity would demand that the Lord would say, Hey, servant, you have suffered. Eh? Sit down and eat. But Christ says, if I tell that servant, if the master tells that servant, wait for me to eat, then after I have eaten, because we are not equal, you can eat after me. The servant will not be owed anything by the master. 
And Christ says that we should learn that every time we serve God, we are just but humble servants doing the will of the master. That God has unmuzzled you as the ox and allowed you to bear fruit in the kingdom and allowed you to eat because you serve him does not mean that you deserve to eat. You are just but a servant doing the will of your master. That when you serve in the worship team, you are just but a servant doing the will of your master. That when I preach the gospel, I am just but a servant doing the will of the master. That when I give in billions, I am just but a servant doing the will of the master. Pride tries to tell you that God owes you because of the diligence of your service. You are just but a servant doing the will of the master. So I pray that today you shall not be too big for the instruction of God. I know that you're a COO of a multinational. I know that you are handling the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. But if God has sent you to be an usher, please be an usher. If the instruction of God upon your heart is to stand in the door and welcome everybody that comes into his sanctuary, do what God has called you to do and do it without discrimination. It could be that one of your employees is the one walking in, but because when you are in church, you are in the office of an usher, do what God has called you to do and serve that person that God has called you to serve. Pride makes you think that you have something in the presence of God. Now, my gleaning of the Bible shows that God has dealt harshly with men who have carried pride in his presence. When you carry pride into the presence of God, you take on God. You are asking for God to pit you as an equal. It is pride that made Herod in Acts chapter 12 be smitten by God. Have you read your Bible in the book of Acts? Now, I read a bit of history, of Jewish history. Now, the Bible says Herod used to wear a golden tunic. No, the history rather, not the Bible. And that golden tunic, he would make sure that he enters into the sanctuary of God when the sun was shining. And the sun would hit his golden tunic and men would look at him and say, hey, that must be a God. And men came and beseeched him and told him, please, from today onwards, we do not want to refer you to you as a man. We want to refer to you as a God. Now the Bible says that they said that the voice of Herod is like the voice of a God. And it says that because he did not rebuke them for their impetuous compliments, God striked him down with death. Now history says that on his deathbed, Herod looked at the people who used to praise him and told them, look at me, the man who you called a God is dying like a mortal man. Do not let the praises of men cost you your salvation. The praises of men can be a fox that fuels your pride. Do not listen to the applause of men. Paul understood this. That when he walked to a place called Lystra and Dab, and when they wanted to make him a god, he stripped himself naked to show them that I am but just a human being. It is God that is working through me. Pride tells you that your title holds before God. Pride tells you that there are things of God that are beneath you because of the things that God has given you in this world. So I pray that the gifts of God shall not become a hindrance to the relationship that you need to have with God. That we shall serve full-heartedly regardless of what God does for us and gives us. I pray that God shall not make you prosper until the day that pride is dealt with because that prosperity might cost you your salvation. That prosperity might be a fox that will eat into the garden 
and allow you not to bear fruit. Now, there's a, there's a verse that Pastor Kevin has quoted. I think it's Luke chapter 13. When God says that he is the gardener. Now, the Bible says that in three years, the gardener came to the garden, to the vineyard, and discovered that there is no fruit. Do you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to cut down that vine and throw it into the lake of fire. God expects fruit from his vine. God, the holy God, expects fruit from your life. And at some point, grace will run out. Grace will run out. But then the Bible says that there is a servant who came and said, give me one more year. I will add fertilizer to it. I will prune it. And if it does not bear fruit in one year, even me, I will join you in cutting it down. Now where you are right now, you deserve to be cut off if sin is in your life if pride is in your heart and to be thrown into the lake of fire. But there is one who is the rose of Sharon that comes and pleads with the Father and says, give me one ear. Jesus wants to invest his grace in you. Jesus wants to invest his love in you. Jesus has already invested his blood in you so that in your third year, it shall be your ear of redemption. It shall be the ear that you start experiencing increasing victory over sin. It shall be the ear that God the Holy God shall deal with the pride in your heart. It shall be the year that you shall know that as a son of God, God does not owe you anything and the privilege is upon you when God calls you into his service. Now I finish with a summary of my third point and my third point is familiarity. Familiarity with God. Familiarity with God. I call it the sin of, of Moses. Now God gave Moses an instruction I'm trying to summarize in Exodus and in Numbers 20. And the people had asked for water. And God told Moses, go and speak to the rock that has followed you. And this rock will give you water. But the Bible says, Moses went and struck the rock. He did not speak to the rock. He struck the rock. Now, we understand in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that this rock that followed them in the desert was Christ Jesus. And Moses, in the greatness of his prophecy and in the depth of his intimate relationship with God, had no right to strike Christ because Christ was the rock that watered them. So he disobeyed God by not following the instruction that God has given it, but over and above that, he struck the Lord. Now it is said that it is because of this that Moses did not make it to the promised land. That he saw the promised land that God used him to deliver to the people, but he himself did not make it. We thank God because of the transfiguration. We know that God, that Moses has made it to heaven. But for you the price is greater. Because you might not make it to heaven if you do not deal with these foxes. The cost is much greater than the cost that Moses had to bear. That if you do not deal with these foxes, the prescription of God is that you who knows him, you who worships him, you who serves him, can be cut off and be thrown into the lake of fire. It is pride that makes the Pharisee come before God and thank God for himself. That he fasts two times a week, that he gives 10% of all he has. God says, and Christ says, that this man left not justified before God. He left not being considered righteous before God. Do not let pride take away from what you need to get from God. Do not be familiar with God. 
Familiarity with God is what makes you abuse grace. Is what makes you continue indulging in the same sin, knowing that grace abounds and grace will cover for you. Familiarity with God is what makes you count everything that you have done for God, thinking that God owes you something. May God help you not to be familiar with his presence. I pray that we shall believe us that know what to do with access. Do you know what, what that means? If today the president of the country gave you access to him, if he turned you into the guy who he drinks chai with, thank God for, for, for our president that we can use the example of tea. If he turns you into the friend that he drinks tea with every evening, that does not mean that in state functions you are exempt from honoring him as president. Some of us do that thing of, ah, uh, me, who is this Bill? I know Bill. It's becoming familiar with that that you should honor. God loves you, but God is holy. His love and his holiness coexist. He will not compromise his holiness for his love. That is why Christ had to die on the cross. Because a price had to be paid for sin. Holiness demanded that blood had to be paid for sin. And because of his love, he paid it himself. So you are able to love God and revere him as holy. This is the balancing act that God has called us to walk into. That to love him is to revere his holiness. He says in First Peter, be holy because I am holy. And it is not an unfair expectation because he has provided the means, the water, the grace for you to be holy. This does not compromise on the love that he has for you. This does not reduce on the concern that he has for you. God is so concerned about your holiness so that he comes with you to yank you out of unholiness. That while grace still abounds, David says that even when you're in the depth of hell, even you're in the depth of your sin, he will not leave you as long as grace abounds because he wants to yank you out of your unholiness. So that as I finish this series, I pray that God shall give us the grace not to be familiar with his presence, not to look like we deserve to have him dwell in us, not to look like or to think that we deserve to be those he has called to serve. Like what my brother Kagunda says, he says that if God wanted, he would have written John 3.16 in the clouds and men would wake up and look at the clouds and give their lives to Christ as per the instruction. But in his sovereign decision, he has decided to include men. He has decided to include Pastor Kevin and Pastor Stan and Reverend Lovey and Pastor Doc and you. It is the glory it is the privilege of man to serve God. I pray for you if you have so much in this world as I finish, that it shall not cost you your salvation. That if you look at the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, it is the rich man that went to hell and Lazarus that went to Abraham's bosom. Sometimes the titles and the gifts and the gold that God gives could be a snare. That's why Christ says that it is harder for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And I pray for you to be rich, but I pray that as God gives you wealth, your heart shall be the heart of a steward. Your heart shall be the heart of a man who understands that I am a servant that God has entrusted with things in this world 
for the sake of his glory. That God gives you titles, as God gives you fame, as God gives you impact, that you shall understand that you are only but a servant that God has entrusted with things for the benefit of humanity. That's why he tells Nebuchadnezzar to forget, not to forget the poor. And that's why we try to have the Goel offering and for the glory of God. Let me invite us to stand. And as you stand, let me remind you that in heaven there will be no VIP line. I know some of you are used to VIP access. That if you went to an event and you are not in the upper tent, you sulk. I pray for the, for the royal family of England because they lost their mother. But in the presence of God, when the queen, Queen Elizabeth, gets to the throne of God, she will not be a queen. In fact, her judgment will be harsher than that of the ordinary man because God will ask her how she stewarded her queenship. God will ask you how you stewarded your kingship. God will ask you how you stewarded your wealth. God will ask you how you stewarded your faith. God will ask you how you stewarded your health. God will ask you how you stewarded your life. So I pray that we shall be those that understand the grace of God. Those that understand the beauty of pursuing holiness. It is not a, an act of the flesh of being justified before God. It comes from the heart. It comes from an understanding of the loving relationship that you have with God. It comes from an understanding of the God that you host in your flesh. So I'd like you to lift up your voice to God and pray. I know that every one of us has something that you want God to deal with. Just tell God, Father, deal with this thing that has kept me from experiencing the fullness of your glory. Deal with this thing that has been a fox in my life, oh God. Thank you for sticking in to the end. We hope you are blessed by this message. Follow us for more of these messages when new episodes drop and make sure to rate us so that more people can find out about us. Bye-bye.